0: Ephesians chapter 2 it can be found on page 827 in your pew bibles Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 22 verse 11 Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body of the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: Uh, For the sake of newcomers and uh, visitors, let me explain. We're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. God tells us in scripture that he speaks to us through his word. And so week by week, We want to hear God speak, so we go to a portion of the biblical text and follow some consecutive portion through, week by week, through a book, say Joshua. And then we ask only two questions of the text. What did God say to them through this text? Then, what is God saying to us? We want God to choose the emphases, the themes, and to speak to us through his Word. But every so often, as a change of pace, we have opportunity for a a topical sermon. And this week, we celebrated, as a nation, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. And every January, I want to take a chance to reflect on this, you know, particularly around the time of Martin Luther King, the celebration of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, but we never have opportunity. And so today, because we had a free spot, and we just celebrated the 50th anniversary, we'll take a look at that sermon he gave, or at least a piece of it, and how it's relevant to us as a church community. But first I'll start with a, a portion of that sermon, a little bit longer than usual, just to capture the flavor of it and the content of it. Okay. Oh, by the way, this is from 1963. The recording is from 1963. I went online, I went to the library, the whole thing. This is the best recording I could get of it. So uh, live with the video quality, if you don't mind.
2: I say to you today, my friend. Today, with all of God's children, be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrims pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. In Whitney when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city.
1: Originally, Martin Luther King Jr. was meant to speak in the middle of a whole variety of speeches. And as they were planning out the day's activities, one of the, one of the advisors said, does anyone in this room want to speak after Martin Luther King speaks? Obama said the same thing this week. Of course, uh, of course. What do you say? I have a dream, he said, that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. 1963 was a brutal time in American history Uh, President Kennedy had brought some civil rights rights legislation into Congress, and Congress was resisting passage. It was going to die. In June of 1963, Medgar Evers did die, gunned down in the driveway of his home in front of his family. August 1963, 250,000 people mostly black, about 10-15% white, marched on Washington. September 1963, four little girls were in Sunday school in Birmingham, Alabama, when their church was bombed and they died. November 1963, President Kennedy was assassinated. Out of all that suffering and horror, 1964, the Civil Rights Act was finally passed by Congress and it outlawed any discrimination based on race, color, religion, or gender, or national origin. It outlawed discrimination in voter registration, in jobs, and in public facilities like hotels and motels and restaurants. Why should this matter to us 50 years later? Most of us weren't alive. Those who were alive, many weren't in America. Why should it matter? For at least two reasons. It should matter, first of all, because Martin Luther King's vision was biblical. And it should matter, second of all, because the Chinese church is in debt to the civil rights movement. It matters, first of all, because this vision is biblical. Consider the scripture reading from this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, page 827. Four times in these few verses, four times in this one paragraph, Paul looks at the cross, and he sees what Christ has done to reconcile us to God. And those same four times, he looks at this church, which has Jews and Gentiles who were in conflict and in tension with each other. Racial tension, ethnic tension, religious tension, social tension. And as he looks at the cross, he says, the cross does not merely reconcile us to God. The cross reconciles us to each other. Take a look at verses 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed. We've been brought near to God. We've been reconciled to God. For he himself is our peace. Our peace with God, presumably. But no, not our peace with God. He himself is our peace who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, black and white. He has made the two groups one, And he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between them. Take a look again at the second half of verse 15 and then 16. God's purpose was to create in himself, or Christ's purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity. To make us new. Surely new before God, but that's not his point here. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace. Not just between us and God, but between us and each other, across racial and ethnic boundaries, across socioeconomic boundaries. And in one body, to reconcile both of them, both of us to God, through the cross, by which he put together their hostility. You see, in Christ, to reconcile us to God, but also to each other, or take a look at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, strangers, immigrants, or outsiders. You are fellow citizens with God's people. You are members of his household. We're all citizens in the, in the same country, Paul says. We're all family members in the same household. Not just children of God but brothers and sisters of each other. This is a biblical vision that Martin Luther King had that day. Or take a look at verses 21 and 22. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. In him too you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Where does God live? Not just in me, but among us as the church, and not just among a Jewish church or a Gentile church. You see, they had temples. The Jews had their temple in Jerusalem, and Gentiles had temples in every city, and no Jew would go into a Gentile temple, and no Gentile was allowed to go into a Jewish temple. And Paul says, God's purpose, Christ's purpose, was to build one temple out of the two groups, Jew and Gentile, or black and white, or rich and poor, or slave and free, or male and female. There is no difference anymore, Paul says. This vision matters. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. This vision matters, first of all, because it's a biblical vision, and it should matter to us, even if we're not black or white. But there's a second reason why this should matter to us 50 years later. Some of you would know what year this church started. What year did this church start? 19 sixty nine? There were some meetings in sixty eight, but really the first official meeting nineteen sixty nine. Why did this church start in nineteen sixty nine? Why not fifty nine? Forty nine? Thirty nine? Twenty nine? Why only nineteen sixty nine? Because most of you were not allow, would not have been allowed into the country in 29, or 39, or 49, or 59. 1964, the Civil Rights Act passed. And in 1965, President Johnson said, it's an embarrassment and our standing before the rest of the world, our immigration policy is an embarrassment. Because it excludes Latinos. It excludes Africans. It excludes Asians. In fact, it even discriminated against Italians, and Lithuanians, and Poles. Up until, in through 1964, the US immigration policy preferred northern Europeans over southern Europeans, and it didn't want anybody from the southern hemisphere, whatever their color was. This church didn't start until 1969 because the immigration policies of this country didn't change until 1965. So it took a few years for enough graduate students, enough immigrants to come here to have enough people to start the, the small nucleus of a church. 1969. So as a Chinese church, if that's what we are, as a Chinese church we owe a debt, not just to Martin Luther King Jr., of course, to the Civil Rights Movement, because we would not be here if it weren't for them facing the fire hoses, facing the lynch mobs, facing the police brutality, for them marching. We, we would not exist as a church. But it's more personal than that. Your parents would not have been able to come here for graduate school. They would not have been able to stay here. You would not be living here, most of you, if it weren't for the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965. You know, Obama said in his speech this, this week, he made a point about that, because they marched, America became more free and more fair. Not just for African Americans, but for women and Latinos and Asians. We have a debt. And we have we have a debt because for one reason or another, whatever they may be, complex social reasons, Asian Americans have prospered more than African-Americans from these changes. And so we commemorate with the African-American community. We commemorate Martin Luther King's vision rightly because we are its beneficiaries as a church and and as individuals and as families. Now, I wanna take this one step further. You know, that's really what it meant 50 years ago. What does it mean now, 50 years later? I want to take this one step further. And, and if you feel afterwards, you know, if you feel like now I'm going from the sublime to the ridiculous or from the sublime to the mundane, yeah, yeah, but we're going to head into something that's really, really mundane, really, really small. But sometimes small things are important. All right, so let's, reality, this is huge, what we saw. And the struggles still today of the African-American community in this country, these are huge. And these are big issues. But let's talk about one little piece of it. What does this mean in a very mundane way for a Chinese church 50 years after the events? And I would suggest that we're not a Chinese church. We're actually three churches here, or we have three groups of people here. And it means something different for each of us, for each of the three. Think of the founders of this church in 1969. Some people in this church have told me a little bit. Most people are really too shy to talk about it, but some people in this church have told me what it was like to be Chinese in America in 1969. Some people have told me what it's like to grow up. You know, maybe you're 30 or 40 years old now, and you grew up in a high school where there was only three Chinese and uh, 1,500 students. I know I've heard some of these stories this, you know, Martin Luther King and, and this, his vision, this Bible vision, says something. A, a Chinese Church means something to people who were here in 1969 that we need to appreciate. Forget about 1969. Let's move forward a few years. Let's move forward to 1976. 1976, Jimmy Carter is running for president. And Jimmy Carter's famous, first evangelical, running for president, first, transparently, evangelical. Jimmy Carter is a Sunday school teacher. And after Richard Nixon, the thought of a Sunday school teacher becoming president, breath of fresh air. Jimmy Carter is a Sunday school teacher in Plains, Georgia, Baptist Church. And people, oh, this is good, clean, and wholesome. Some black minister in town said, you know what? He said, he looked at that church and he said, you know, he wrote, he contacted the, the uh, Board of Deacons on a Tuesday night. And he said, you know, God has called me to join your church. Now, he was a little bit mischievous, because in 1976, the Plains Georgia Baptist Church had nobody of color, of any color, other than white. So the church deacon board held a meeting that week. And they went back to their bylaws, and they went back to the minutes of their meetings, and in 1965, they'd had a meeting. In the midst of all this civil rights unrest, in the midst of the Civil Rights Act. In 1965, the church board had had a meeting, and they decided at that meeting that they would allow no black members in that church and no white civil rights workers to be in that church. And so they said in 1976, they canceled worship because otherwise this guy was going to come to their worship service. And you know, they got it right. Because if we discriminate based on race, We're not a church. We should cancel. If we discriminate based on race, God won't be there. Why worship? They didn't get the bigger issue right, but they got that issue right. God would be delighted if they cancel their worship. You know, some of our CM members and our founding members, maybe even some people in this congregation, remember what those days were like. The the insults and the mockery. We have people in this congregation and in this church. You know, our first location was not here in Lexington. Our first location was in Woburn. We had people. These are not martial arts trainees or whatever. We had people in our church, you know, law-abiding Romanian people, that would sleep overnight in the Woburn church because people in the neighborhood were targeting it. Apparently they were upset about a Chinese church starting and they'd engage in vandalism. So we had church members sleep the night to protect the church. Uh, Nervously, but courageously. To people who live in a time like that, Chinese church is desperately important. A, A Chinese church doesn't say, if you're not Chinese, you're not welcome. To people in an environment like that, a Chinese church says, if you are Chinese, you are welcome. Here, most people will look like you, so no one will mock what you look like. Here, people most people will talk like you, so no one will mock your accent. Here, most people have come from countries like yours, so you don't have to learn a new culture. Here, most people will value you, so you can actually be a leader. It is desperately important in a racist culture, that you have an ethnic church, a place to call home, a place where you belong. Uh, There's another group of people in our church, and Chinese church means something different to them. Ever since 1989, Tiananmen Square incident, a lot of mainlanders have come to faith, and they've come to the U.S., or they've come to the U.S. and then they've come to faith and, and they bring their children here. And, and, and America is no longer as violently racist as it was in the past. So, so church, Chinese church means it's something a little bit different for them. But at least for them it means. Here's people who speak your language, but here's also a place where they have English ministry. Here's a place where you can bridge between your culture overseas and your children's culture here. Here's people that can help you figure that out here's a place where you can come and you can talk the language you you can pray to God in the language you're comfortable with because nobody ever wants to pray to God in a second language and yet here's a place where where you can come where your children will be trained in american values and help to be fitted in but they'll also not lose their asian values so for the first generation it's crucial to have a chinese church to be a place where where chinese fit For the second generation, it's crucial to have a bicultural church where both generations can fit. And it makes perfect sense for them to have a Chinese church or a bicultural church. There's a third group. Many of us fit into this third group. And the question becomes, what is the role of a mm, Chinese church, if you call it that? I don't call it that. But if you do call it, what's the role of a Chinese church when our culture is becoming post-racial? What's our place when our culture is becoming post-racial? Look, indulge me. We're going to run a couple of minutes late. Let's run that. I want to show you four signs, four signs that we are becoming a post-racial culture. Go ahead and here's the first sign. This is an ad from 9-11. In the aftermath of 9-11, Ad Council put it together. Can we show that? Are we all right with that? Maybe not. I am an American. I am an American.
0: I'm an American. I
2: am an American. I'm an American.
0: I am an American. 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 I am
2: an American. I am an American. American. I am an 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 American. I'm an American. I am an American. I I. I. I am
0: an American.
2: I am an
1: American.
0: I am an American. I am
1: American. I am America.
0: I'm an American.
1: I'm an American.
0: I'm an American. I am an American. I am an American. I'm an American. I am an American.
2: I'm an American.
1: In a racist culture, it's desperately important to have a Chinese church. For people who are coming over today, it's desperately important to have a bicultural church. But as we move into a post-racial era, there really raises a question for us as English ministry, what is our identity? How do we view ourselves? Are we still a Chinese church? Or are we, are we a Chinese congregation? When our country, when an ad council can say, 10 years later, we're still one, when we can watch this and say, I am an American and take pride in that, what are we saying as a church? We're not, no longer are we saying in a post-racial society, no longer are we saying, I am a Chinese Christian. What are we saying? I am a Christian. This place is for Christians. Yeah, we got a lot of Chinese here, but we're incidentally Chinese. We're not intentionally Chinese. It just happens that we're Chinese. If you love Jesus, or you don't know Jesus, we don't care what your ethnicity is, what your race is, what your socioeconomic status is. We don't care where you were born. We don't care what your politics are. This is a church for you. We are a Christian church. We are Christ's church. Let me give you another line of evidence that America is becoming post-racial. Interracial marriage. Do you realize that until 1967, until the Supreme Court struck it down, there were states in America where it was illegal to have an interracial marriage? There were states in America where my wife and I could not be married? 1967? 1958, 4% of Americans thought it was okay to be married interracially. 2012. of Americans thought interracial marriage was fine. It's the biggest shift of public opinion in the history of the Gallup organization taking polls. Nearly 10% of marriages today are interracial. If we're starting to meet and marry across racial boundaries, what sense would it ever make not to worship across racial boundaries third evidence that we're becoming post-racial the single most common frustration or complaint that I heard when I first came to this church and people would come in and get them to know me and, and I'd say okay what do you like about the church what don't you like the single most common complaint I had was this I don't want to be in a Chinese church I can't invite my friends this is a complaint from Chinese I mean, you know you guys ethnic Chinese American Chinese. Second gen. I can't invite my friends. Well, first of all, I understand. You know, I, I, I don't agree. I, I understand. You know, I contacted... A mission speaker was going to come here and speak, and, and I was on the phone with him, and he said to me, you know, he said, he said, I've never spoken at a Chinese church. I don't know what to do. Now, I, I, I got a chance. I could have had some fun. <laughs> I really wanted to tell him, well, we all take off our shoes at the door, you know. And then you step in the lobby and you kowtow, bow down and you head down to the floor. I'm a pastor, I have to be good sometimes. Before the conversation ended, he said to me, you know, your English is quite good. Thank you, I've been working hard on it. You can invite your friends. They know you already. It's no different. Don't worry about it. But the fact that you feel this way tells me you're post-racial, many of you, are thinking post-racially. Here's the thing, we're not multi-ethnic. If you're multi-ethnic, ethnicity still defines you. I think we're post-racial. This does not define who we are. Yeah, I'm Chinese or I'm Caucasian or I'm African-American or whatever, it doesn't define... Yeah, i got French-Canadian blood in me. That certainly doesn't define who I am. The fact that I'm white doesn't define who I am. Measure me by the content of my character or by the Christ that I confess. All this other stuff is secondary, tertiary. A fourth, a fourth ex- evidence I'll give you that we're moving into post-racial. I want to tell you the model that CM has set for us. In our bylaws, the purpose of this church used to be to reach people from China. And our church changed that. Because in 1989, mainlanders started coming and the founders from Taiwan realized, if you say we're going to reach people from China, you're going to have an argument. What's China? Is it that island off the coast? Or is it those billion people? You know? So they changed it. We're here, they said, to reach ethnic Chinese. They opened the doors. And now over half of our church is recent converts since 1989 from mainland. Spectacular. You open the door, people come in. One of our founding elders, almost founding elders, one of the longest-term members here, went over to help plant that church in Metro West. Do you know what they call that church in Metro West? Boston Metro West Bible Church. Do you hear what word's missing from that name? You no, know, of course, there's a sublim- some subliminal advertising going on. They, for short, they call it BMW. <laughs> so I'm proposing that we change our name to Lexington Evangelical Church, or Lexus for short. <laughs> and we, you know, to help branding, we, we get the, you know, company cars for all the uh, pastoral staff. We plant City Outreach Mission. We plant Metro South. And what do we call them? City Outreach Mission. Metro South. Oh, in conclusion, really, are we a Chinese church? Yeah, for some of us, it's very important that we be a Chinese church. For some of us, it's very important that we be a bicultural church. And for some of us, and I would suppose most of us here, for me, it's very important that we be a post-racial church. Because that's what I am. And I think many of you are. Now, we may have to keep the name Chinese Bible Church because we were founded in 1969, but we don't have to tell people that's our name. When you get welcomed later on, the presider is not going to welcome you to Chinese Bible Church because not all of you are Chinese. The presider later on will welcome you to CBC or maybe CBCGB if you can get all those initials smoothly. The point is this. We live out the gospel, and a piece of the gospel is this. Christ has died to reconcile us. He's died to reconcile us to God. And he's died to reconcile us to each other. And anyone who loves Jesus or wants to know about Jesus, we are not inviting you to our church. We are saying to you, whatever your nation of origin, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your background, whatever your race, this is your church if you want it to be. Christ has reconciled us to God and to each other. We may not yet have a country where everybody is judged not by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. But we can be a church where everybody is welcome not based on the color of their skin but based on their confession of Christ.
2: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you